Okay. Doesn't need me to tell you that life can be tough. Many of you know that in, very, in many different ways. And uh, life can be a struggle. And often we think of it in terms of a battle. And John reminded us of those words early on at the beginning of our worship that come, that come from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I purposely read those verses from Colossians as we came to communion, where it speaks there about what Christ has done for us at the cross, what he's done for us within our salvation, where it says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over, over them by the cross. 2 Colossians chapter verse 15. This morning we're looking at uh, living life with the end in sight, and I've entitled it The Victory of the Lamb. But we're looking at one aspect of that victory that comes very apparent in the book of Revelation because that's where I've, I've, I've honed in and that's where I've, I've anchored myself in this series. And uh, we're looking at that particular aspect of the victory that Christ won at the cross, the victory that he won over the powers of darkness and over Satan himself. We often think think, and we often reflect and we often focus in upon the cross, yes, as our place of redemption and forgiveness of sins. But there are different aspects there to the cross. And one was the overthrow, the overthrow of Satan and of his angels of darkness. John is called to write what he sees We've emphasised that over the week. Two weeks ago, I referred to John as a word artist. He's painting pictures with words. You could say an abstract painter, as I said two weeks ago, whose truth and power lie not in the meaning of every brushstroke, but in the overall effect of the painting as we stand back and view the whole picture. Now, a painting is never painted all in one go. I know, yes, when we were little and our children, they get the paints out and they all splosh the paint all over the paper and that's it. And here you are, mum and dad, here's a picture, all done in five seconds flat. And then they're on to the next one. But a painting is built up in different layers. And John, through the book of Revelation, is building up his picture in different layers. He's telling the same story in numerous different ways, with numerous different images. He goes back in numerous cycles, building up the picture with each layer, adding to the overall picture, telling the same story. So the seven seals 
and the seven trumpets that we looked at two weeks ago. And then the seven bowls that are to come and the seven symbols are all layers of the one picture. And we've defined that picture as AD history. The story of history between the ascension of Jesus Christ and his return at some point in the future. The seven seals describe what Christ, because he is the one who opens the seals, in chapter 6, verse 1, allows in history and across history. The seven trumpets, there in 8, 6 following, describe how Christ is warning the world and calling the world to repentance through what is happening around them. 8.20 says, and still they did not repent of the work of their hands even though they had experienced, the world experiences all these calamities. It's interesting this week, I don't know how many of you watched the programme on uh, Monday night about plastic. I found it very, very challenging. What is needed is a repentance. Repentance of our lifestyle. Repentance of our greed. Repentance of our selfishness. But it's a warning. It's a warning of the dangers of our overindulgence in terms of one commodity. If you've not watched it, then I suggest you go back on iPlayer or catch up or whatever and watch it. The seven bowls that come in, the, in chapter 16 later on describe how Christ ultimately judges his world. But this judgment is happening now. And it's happening around us. As we look at the seals, the trumpets and the bowls, we see how relevant they are. They speak of war and public strife. What's been happening in Hong Kong this week? Let alone the Middle East. They speak about famine and inequality. Well, even this week on the television, there's a group of experts talking about Britain as being the most unequal it's been for generations between rich and poor, the haves and the have-nots. There. Environmental disaster and disruption were spoken about the plastic. Human struggle... There's probably more slaves in the world today than there has ever been. And then strife and death. Five minutes on any news website and you will find many illustrations to back that up. And in the midst of them, there is the persecution of God's people. Down through the generations. Now I focused in this morning on Revelation chapter 12. And if you've got your Bibles... I would suggest you turn to it. It's quite a... You have to take a deep breath if you like, want to read it. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to draw from it. But it begins there in chapter 11, when then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and severe hailstorm. 
That has come at the end of the, 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 the seventh trumpet, where the seventh trumpet has declared the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And it's bringing about that, that final moment in terms of world history. But then John goes on in chapter 12, says a great sign, and he's going back now. He's going back and he's almost telling his story again, but in a different way. And he's using images and he's being very graphic. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon and under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child and the moment he, the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael, his angel, and his fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil, or Satan, who, who leads the world, the whole world, astray. He was hurled to the earth, had his angels with him. Then I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now come, now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accused them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Then it goes on to speak about that he pursues the woman. But then ultimately in verse 7, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So you read that passage and you take an almighty big gulp. Because it speaks about war. It speaks about war in, on earth, it speaks about war in heaven, and it speaks war, about war against the church. There are three characters involved in this drama. There's the woman, and she first appears in chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Some say she could be Mary, the mother of Jesus. But it's more likely that it's figuratively... It's looking and it's being, it's the whole people of God. The people of God from whom the Messiah came. Isaiah portrays the nation of Israel as a woman 
in childbirth, waiting to bring forth the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah to come, expectant, pregnant with that expectation that out of the nation and out of the people of Israel, God will bring a deliverer. God will bring a redeemer. And so here we have this woman. And the woman here in Revelation spans the whole history of redemption. Because it's speaking about pre the coming of Christ and the expectation of the people of Israel. But then later on, in verse 17, as we read, it refers to you and me, the rest of her offspring, those who are the fruit of the mission and the ministry of the church since Jesus Christ. So we have the woman, then we have the child. Doesn't take a big step of the imagination to realise that the child is Jesus. Revelation 12.5 says the child will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Words that are taken from Psalm 2, verse 9. Messianic Psalm. Where God's Messiah receives an iron scepter to rule the nations. To rule the nations. And in it, it's very graphic. That yes, it's got that picture that a male child, she will give birth to a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. It's figuratively expressing, yes, his, his coming, but also his ascension. He is snatched back up to the throne of God. The dragon is clearly identified as Satan. In Revelation 12:9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Although the Old Testament often uses the imagery of the dragon also for great empires, big empires of state, and particularly those who are driven by evil forces, places like Isaiah 27 and Ezekiel 29. But the drama unfolds in three acts. Acts one, act one describes the birth of the Messiah. Revelation 12, verses 1 to 6. Throughout the Old Testament, Satan continually harassed the people of Israel. And he tried to destroy the offspring of Abraham, from whom the Redeemer would come. You can see it all through the Old Testament of how constantly the people of, of Israel were assaulted by nation after nation after nation. You see it there in Egypt where a whole generation of boys was wiped out there through the evil intent of Satan using Pharaoh. John describes this dragon is sweeping a third of the stars from the sky. The killing, if you could say, of children of Pharaoh and of Herod at the time of Jesus. These attacks continued in the life of ministry of Jesus. Coming to a climax at the cross. There at the cross, 
Well, I bet for one moment, Satan said, I've got him! I've got him! In his arrogance and in his pride, as the Son of God hung upon that cross. But we know that that was not the lasting reality. That three days later, Jesus, Jesus Christ rose again by the power of God from the tomb. And then 40 days later, he was snatched from the earth and he was taken and he was elevated to the throne and to the right hand of God in heaven, where he is today, interceding for us. Act 1. Act 2 describes the defeat of Satan. The angelic war in heaven described in verse 7 could refer to the original rebellion of Satan. Elsewhere, described as falling like a star from heaven in Isaiah 14. But in Revelation 12, this event takes place after, excuse me, after the first coming of Christ. Verse 7 and 12 don't refer to the rebellion of Satan in general, but his actual removal from heaven. If we go back into Job, Job chapter 1, a book that was probably written right at the beginning of the biblical canon, speaking about time, right at the beginning. If we go back into that, Job chapter 1 suggests that before the coming of Jesus, Satan had access into heaven. And that he did it in order to accuse God's people, to point the finger to point the finger at God's people. It is, it is how he is defined in verse 10. The accuser of our brothers and sisters. And then it speaks again. The accuser of our brothers and sisters, in verse 10, has been hurled down. The struggle here between Satan and Michael in heaven is the outworking of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ here on earth. Because what John is here speaking about, he's speaking about the reality of us here on earth, but he's speaking about the ultimate reality that is not visible to us at this time, of the spirit world, and what is taking place there. The reason Satan can no longer accuse is because God's people have been made righteous through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan is defeated through the cross and the verdict has been declared. It's been declared and enacted in the court of heaven. What is it that Paul writes in Romans chapter 8? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who has been raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The defendant is declared not guilty. And so therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan has lost his power because he can no longer condemn us. He can no longer accuse us. He can no longer stand in the presence of God and say, that David Whitlock, you know what he did? 
He cannot do that. Because that David Whitlock has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That David Whitlock has been made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And therefore Satan, Satan has no authority. Satan has no power. That is the only power, that is the only authority that he has ever had over us. That power to accuse. That power to appoint the finger. That power to make us guilty. That power to make us doubt. That power to say, God, he's not good, is he? God's not faithful. That power to accuse. The Archangel Michael is simply the bailiff carrying out the eviction order that, is a, that was secured at the cross. And in heaven, Christ's great conquest is now declared. There in verses 10 to 12. Because of the cross, now has come the salvation. Now our salvation has been made real because of the cross. Now has come the power, the greater power, the power of the name of Jesus. And the kingdom of God has been realised and the authority of his Messiah. All authority, Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth is given where? To him. To him who sits on the throne. The question is, what is Satan doing there? Revelation 12.12 tells us that he has been thrown down to the earth in a great rage. The war in heaven now has its counterpart on earth. And this sets up Act 3 of our drama. Act 3, the warfare of the church. Revelation 12.17 tells us that the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. In the following chapters, we find that this warfare against the church, Satan is joined by two accomplices, or beasts, representing secular powers. A beast that comes up out of the sea, verses 1 to 10 in chapter 13, a power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them, given to them by the devil. Persecution. A beast out of the earth who is given power to given power by the first beast, beast sorry, to deceive the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 14 of chapter 13. To lead people into the idolatry, to lead them astray, to tempt them. And so there are these two beasts who join, almost if you like, in an unholy trinity, to wage war against God's people. And throughout that chapter there is warfare raging in which people of God are caught in the middle. We began our service today with those words from Ephesians 6. And John's revelation allows us to peek behind the scenes of history and to see the subtle or not so subtle strategy of Satan. 
what was true in John's first, for John's first readers is also true for us today in the 21st century. We are in a battle. We're in the midst of a warfare. And that warfare is directed towards us. The devil uses the same threefold strategy to assault the church today, physically, via persecution. Morally, through compromise and idolatry, dragging down our testimony, dragging down our witness. And intellectually, through false teaching and deception, to deceive and to destroy. Now we don't have to fear this. Because Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary destroyed destroyed the power of Satan once and for all. And he's given us the victory, you and me. We overcome by trusting in the blood of Jesus. This is what this passage in Revelation tells us. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb. How do we triumph? By looking to the cross, by looking to the sacrifice of Jesus and knowing that in the sacrifice of Jesus, Satan has been defeated once and for all. And therefore we can look him in the eye and say, you are gone. By looking to the cross. Secondly, by telling our story and the word of their testimony. In verse 11, our testimony is the most powerful weapon we have in overcoming opposition. Opposition to our faith. When we tell our story, in one sense there is no answer. No one can ever deny what has happened to you. No one can deny your story. Do you ever wonder why it is so many people say, oh, I do struggle to share my testimony. Because Satan doesn't want you to. Because he knows that your story is power. Your story speaks of his defeat. Your story speaks about the victory of Jesus. And he doesn't want the world to hear that. He wants the world to stay in darkness. But then we overcome also by taking risks for Jesus. It goes on to say, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Quite challenging, isn't it? Or as the message puts it, they were not in love with themselves. They were not in love with themselves. Let's be honest. Most of us are in love with ourselves, aren't we? The first thought that we ever have is about my security. What's the impact it's going to have on me? What's the impact going to have on my family? What's the impact going to be on my reputation? 
That's our first thought. Let's be honest, isn't it? I know it's mine. I know it's mine. But they overcome him by taking risks. They were absolutely sure of their future. Therefore, they could take risks safe in the arms of Jesus. And if there's one thing that Revelation tells us, is that those who put their trust in the Lamb are held safe and secure both now and for eternity. And finally, we overcome them by enduring patiently. Chapter 13, verse 10 says this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. We keep on keeping on. Even when everything seems to be a struggle, even when everything seems to be against us, even when we don't understand, even when we're a little bit frightened, we keep on keeping on, looking to the cross, telling our story, taking risks, and as verse 4, 12 in chapter 14 puts it, keeping his commands and remaining faithful to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, as we live life with the end in sight, we live it in a battle zone. But we need to know who it is that we're battling. And it's not flesh and blood. It's not that person sitting next to you that gets up your nose, that irritates you. It's not that person. It is the powers and the authorities that are both held down and are waging war against us. But I'll tell you this, their time is limited. Their time is limited. Because there will come a day. There will come a day when the victory of Jesus is secured. D-Day was not the end of the war. That came a year later, in VA Day. The cross is not the end of the war, but it's where the victory is won. And like the people of Smyrna, who faced opposition from the devil and of persecution. When that day comes, when Christ is revealed in all his glory, we will be given our victor's crown. Hallelujah. Let's pray. John, let's come up on for the